Hello and welcome to Weeb Spawn, where we talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing another episode. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And no real spoilers, because we're more going to talk about our interaction with the tabletop rpg instead of like the campaigns because you may have done an actual campaign but most of the campaigns i'm in are created by the dm so homebrew (laughs) not really much of an intro for this one Um, basically Dungeons and Dragons is a role-playing game that you takes place in typically a house or a non-professional setting between a couple of friends or strangers. Sometimes there's random Dungeons and Dragons events, and you get together and you create characters uh, along a certain guideline that the dungeon master will give you, and you basically explore the realm of imagination. And it's the, the reason we're kind of doing Dungeons and Dragons is because, although it's not video game or anime related, I think that they are very much related in the sense that when we dive into a video game, we are diving into a fantasy realm. Or, I mean, not necessarily fantasy, but we're diving into an imaginary narrative and we're putting ourselves into the lives of these characters. We are essentially playing make-believe and interjecting ourselves into these events and kind of trying to relate to them and get some sort of emotion from it, get some sort of enjoyment or entertainment. Whatever your reason for playing video games or watching anime, the same principles can be interjected into Dungeons & Dragons. And that's kind of why I believe that this topic is relatable to our podcast. And... Dungeons & Dragons isn't just about medieval fantasy. There are space themes, there are steampunk, cyberpunk, there are modern-day high schools. There are so many different topics that you can explore. Same with the topic of video games and different genres. So it is purely an imagination-based game, but it is much more fun than it sounds if you've never played and yeah, it just lets you explore the possibility of the infinite mind. So I think if we're talking about the very first time of ever experiencing D&D, the earliest memory I can recall is, do you remember when we went to that gaming convention? Mm-hmm, BashCon. Yeah. That... On one of the tables, people had drawn out characters in a grid map. And I was so confused because I'm like, what are they doing? They're just sitting around rolling dice. And, like, they had no figures or anything like that. Like, the grid map was just to help them for combat because each grid is five feet. And there's a lot of, like, rules and stuff that goes about uh, characters and ranges and stuff like that. But I remember I, like, asked them, I'm like, what are you guys playing? And they uh, said D&D, and I'm like, what's that? They're like, Dungeons and & Dragons. And I'm just like, so where are the game pieces? And they're like, no, no, everything's in your head. And, like, 
Because at the time, I was only, what? Oh, God. Oh, we were high school. Yeah. Between 14 and... 18. Yeah, but probably less than 18. I don't think we went towards senior year. We probably went yeah, freshman, more... sophomore year. So probably yeah. 14, 15. Yeah, but... To... Yeah. I was... I would say 16 or younger. I think 16 yeah. probably would have been... Max. Oh, yeah. You had to have been 16. You drove us there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I... Yeah. So, either I was 16 or 17 then. Because I didn't get my learner's permit right. But anyways, that's <laughs> going off topic. But yeah, that was like my first ever time being introduced. And I just... To me, it was insane because I've never played a game without, like, a game board or anything like that. Because I was so used to video games or, like, board games, especially since there were so many board games out there. Or, like, even card games where, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon where, yeah, unlike the show, they don't come out and fight and everything, but you still had the pictures and the cards and like everything right then and there but D, it was just all in your mind and uh it seemed, to me it seemed so complicated when i first looked at it because they're like oh yeah there's a whole book of rules and it's to like fair, 200 pages and it is I'm, pretty complicated even knowing the game <laughs> that's true but like a lot of like, you learn that, like, a lot of things can end up being interpretation, and it's all based on kind of, like, how your DM goes, and a lot of times, at least your first few campaigns, if you have a DM-friendly, newbie-friendly DM, they'll tend to do the rule of cool over what is actually written, if it's feasible not just like you can do anything and that would just make the campaign broken but yeah that would have been my first impression was looking at that and just seeing handmade character drawings and then this grid thing that you can only move one grid and i'm just like what is this i'm like it it looks so complicated just at first view <laughs> Yeah, I remember this exact scenario when we walked in and we're like, what is this? Like, this doesn't really seem that interesting. And I remember looking at it and thinking, like, this seems awful. And this is a stupid game, super boring. I don't know why anyone would do this. And I had no room to really judge because we were at a convention for board games. So how passing judgment wasn't really uh, <laughs> something that we were allowed to do because we were also nerds. <laughs> but yeah, I remember looking at it and I just never understood the idea of imagining this battle. And it's kind of interesting that I didn't understand it because I remember back in grade school, there were times where I had to stay after school and wait for my parents to pick me up. So they had this extended day program. And uh, there was a kid who was a little bit older and he always brought board games. And there was a Star Wars game. And looking back at it, with the knowledge I have now, it seemed very Dungeons & Dragons inspired, at least the battle map portion, because it was, it was all about fighting your opponent and taking out their enemy troops. And it was a grid map with rooms and segments that were rough terrain and blockages. And 
it was basically dungeons. You had certain amount of movement per turn. You had certain actions you could take, and you basically had to fight. Then there was hit points and stuff. And I don't know why I didn't understand how interesting Dungeons & Dragons could be, because the only difference between that game and the game that I played as a kid was that these Dungeons & Dragons players didn't have minifigures. They were just using like tokens that symbolize characters. So there just needed to be one more step of imagination, and that's all it took. So, yeah, it's one of those things that it's easy to judge it from an outside's perspective but once you start playing you realize how enjoyable it is even though it's all completely fabricated and a lot of times it's made up on the fly because characters do things that are really stupid and (laughs) you don't expect them to do it and you have to figure out something to counteract it or embrace it so yeah it is something that's easily able to get a bad first impression but god it's so much fun which, if you, if you know us personally, it's kind of funny because of what we used to play as kids was all imaginative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a lot of stupid games where we f- every single game we played, it was something imaginary and invisible. Like we, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons before we thought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was yeah. We had no room to judge. Yeah, and so like we said, like you were mentioning, the there's no one story for this. There are campaigns that kind of tell you how to go through this and set up the world and stuff like that. If you are like a fresh DM and you don't know where to start, always look at the campaign modules and stuff like that because... Every campaign is going to be different. For instance, like the one I'm the currently the DM, which is the Dungeon Master. I know we've been saying that. I don't know if we actually said what it was. The Dungeon Master is who controls the world, who creates it, and who... When players ask, oh, can I do this? Can I do that? You're the one that interprets the rules and kind of leads this world and how they go through it. So for... And to give you a little instance, since I have my notebook here right now, my current setting is about humans, elves, and beastmen. Yes, very original out of all the fan- fantasy-ish things. But mine is only supposed to be a short campaign for levels 1 through 5. They lived together in harmony until the beastmen assassinated the human king Julian I. Humans retaliated by sending an army through the Elven Woods to the Beastmen continent. The Elves, fearing an invasion, fought against them. Soon, the Beastmen and Elves formed a forced alliance to fight the humans, and they managed to push them back to the Windy Peak Mountains. After 50 years of war, stuck at a stalemate, they decided to have a peace treaty. Thus, the trade city of Aurora was born, an island city-state self-governed by itself made for all races. That is the underlining backstory of my world, and the mission the king got is while our heroes were in one of the human cities, there was a prophecy that was shown to everyone of a huge incoming war of constructs or golems or automatons, I think is another way you can say it, androids, whatever you want to call them, 
versus chimeras of all different sorts. Not just your standard chimera with the lion head, the snake tail, and all that. But, like, just a bunch of fusion of different monsters. And at the scene of this bloody battle were our heroes. And so everyone's trying to figure out what their role is in that. So that is the story I created. But like I said, Dungeons & Dragons is so free. You can create your own world or use the modules provided within the different books of Dungeons & Dragons that they have. Yeah. I, I was also a, a DM for a short amount of time. I just wanted to test it out because I am currently in a campaign with a group of friends and our dungeon master was just talking about the idea of possibly if anyone wants to experience becoming a DM, just let them know and come up with a campaign and we can interject it as a side quest. So I decided to take him up on that offer and I created my campaign and I didn't want to strictly stick to the rules of my current DM's world so I created a parallel world that the current players got sucked into and in this parallel world they were trapped inside of a city that was stuck in a time loop which isn't quite original it's I feel like it's frequently it's a frequent uh, anime thing is time loops and stuff but I can't think of many animes it just feels like it's a cliche, but I wanted to run with it. So I was doing this time loop where there was a demon who made uh, a deal with the king of this town or the duke. And the deal was that the duke wanted to live the rest of his days without embracing death. And at the time, he made this deal after he was stabbed by an assassin. So he was really desperate in not dying. So he signed this terrible deal. And every night, he bled out to death. He was slowly dying. So he figured signing this contract would alleviate that, but it did not. He was still bleeding. So every night when he actually bled out and died, the world would reset, and the town would go back to how it was right as he signed the contract. And the heroes of this tale had to figure out what was going on. And it was quite interesting. I had little clues thrown around the entire town that they could have found. I had many different solutions that they could have embraced to um, destroy the contract or possibly get out of here without trouble. And, of course, they went every different direction that I did not want them to go. Or not that I did not want them to go. Every direction that I did not expect them to go. They ignored many clues. They ignored many things. <laughs> and that's when I learned the players in Dungeons & Dragons are all assholes. Yeah, every meme about Dungeons and Dragons when I became a DM really came true, and I'm just like, I thought it was, I literally thought it was a meme, but I guess because it literally happens every campaign, that's why it became a meme. Mm -hmm. So that's why, if for anyone who is starting out as a DM, obviously there's many videos you can read about. Or watch about how to make your world but world building a better place. How all this stuff. And I've seen uh, a lot of them and everything. But to experience it firsthand. My campaign's not done. But don't be over specific with all your details. Create a good layout. 
create almost like an outline and don't prep yourself too much of every single detail your players will create it for you or they might just not as we've both experienced follow exactly what you think or even if you leave clues they may not pick it up as they don't think is as subtle as you think it is so don't worry about having too much detail in like a city i worry i think i worried about that too much for me so i spent so i spent like eight hours designing this one city and they spent maybe an hour in it so it's better to just to have a general understanding of what your city looks like what the populace is and just have like an understanding of what world it is you because if you don't know your world how are your players going to know your world? Yeah, I read something online that basically said something along the lines of the dungeon master who puts m the most amount of time into creating their world plays the least amount of time or the, the more effort you put into every single detail of your campaign, the less likely you are to start the campaign because I think it's it's more along the lines of when you start to micromanage and figure out every little bitty detail the more you need it to the more you keep feeling you need to perfect it you need to find more details to keep digging into whereas when you just make a brief overlay with some structures here and there and the general lay of the land and maybe philosophies here and there you're more likely to just throw your players into the world because you feel like it's something that you can create as you go. So the more effort you put into it, the less likely you're going to put it on the table because it's not perfect yet. So always go into it feeling like there is stuff that might be missing, but that's okay because it is a work in progress. No one is going to find every little bitty detail from day one. It's going to be a journey and you have to just embrace it don't don't try too hard not to mention you just never know what your players will do maybe you had a secret wall and they found it or maybe they end up murdering an important npc and now because of that you're like oh now the world can change because they were supposed to do this so maybe now a new character can come in and now they have hostile relationships to this the more you let your players interact and change the world i guarantee you the more fun they will have and you will have as well because you will feel more in part with them because of this ever-changing world so don't just come in not prepared like you're like okay well here's my world here are a few cities like know your world what people live there what do they view on strangers who are coming in here what are their like you said philosoph philosophical oh my god philosophical philosophical what are like how would they treat if something happened like this would obviously human ideals would be different from elven ideals from demons and stuff like that so i find it best just to have an outline of like all right so here's this city and then just write some characteristics of it you don't have to describe the whole city just write some characteristics of it so you know in your head 
what the city is because if they don't want to explore the city, they're not going to. Especially if you give them a quest. So why build this elaborate city if they're not going to spend more than like half a session there? So just I think it's better just to have like an outline and just be like this city, ideals, characteristics, almost like you're describing something on like a PowerPoint, I think would be the best way to describe it. Yep. Basically get your key fo- key points improvise as you go and that is one thing improv is a huge part of dungeons and dragons and if you're not very good at improv there are ways to get better there are skills that you can kind of brush up on but yeah it's it's one of those things that you kind of have to be quick on your toes and kind of think about what direction you're going to want to go if certain things happen and like i said you don't have to create a world from scratch like we did there are modules out there or mm-hmm. even just looking at them and be like, ooh, I like this. I'm going to take this. Ooh, I like it from this. I'm going to take this. And then you can create your own. But we just end up creating our own because we're broke-ass bitches and don't have <laughs> the books. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing, the downside of D&D is the books are pretty expensive. Yeah. However, I- it, oh. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, um, I basically just go to D&D Beyond and hope for the best. And if something's behind a paywall, then I just Google it and go to a different source to, <laughs> to figure out stuff. But I want to buy the books eventually. And I was speaking of that. Um, if any of you guys who are in the Dungeons & Dragons community, Wizards of the Coast, who are the people who actually make the Dungeons & Dragons books, bought out D&D Beyond. They own the website. It is no longer an Amazon-owned company. And you can follow all the news and everything, but one of the latest things I just saw was the newest book that is coming out. They're pricing it at $60. Normally, the the hard copy books are around, I think, like, $40 $40 to $50, like the hardback. They raised the price a little bit, but if you buy it, you also get a digital code to use on D&D Beyond. So they raised the price about like 10 to 15 bucks so you can get it on D&D Beyond because otherwise you'd have to buy it separately from D&D Beyond and, and like the physical copy. But because Wizards of the Coast actually bought the rights and owns D&D Beyond now, it could be in the future that we will see more codes and books. So just a little tidbit to add. Also, I, I want to say, one, we're not sponsored. We just really like D&D. <laughs> Two, um, I did not know D&D Beyond was originally owned by Amazon. I did not know that either. I There's Very a person I was... Uh, watching on YouTube that has a lot of good videos about starting D&D tips and just, like, videos about, like, feats, about spells. Like, so not just for Dungeon Masters, but for player characters, too. Like, what the like what he thinks are the best spells for each level, what are the best feats, what are the worst feats, and stuff like that. And uh, he was making a video about D&D Beyond and covering of the Wizards of the Coast. But, yeah... It is the, and it's also, I believe he said, was like the second 
this is the only second company Amazon has ever sold after they acquired it. Damn. I forget what the first was, but yeah, this is the second ever company Amazon ever sold once they acquired it. So I'm really hoping with this new book that it comes with physical and digital that maybe they will slowly go to that more and more. I don't know how they would compensate like other people, but like at the same time, it's like, I don't know how much compensation it is because this has been out forever and it's like, I don't know. So yeah, I don't, there probably wouldn't be any conversation because like it's one of those things like damn you should have waited to buy or and it's whatever. like it to me if you bought the physical copies already yeah it sucks if people are gonna use the D and D Beyond but from what I read online when I was asking or I looked up like digital versus physical a lot of people who bought the physical copies are tend to be players who already meet already face to face have been playing since edition one so they've already bought the books so if you don't want to go digitally that's your choice you don't have to go digitally but like a lot of times for like me per i'm away from a lot of my DD group so i play mostly online so i prefer the digital and i think it's a little easier to help keep track especially since i'm a newbie character but like i said that's a whole different war going on with physical and digital. <laughs> but moving on, I think one of the more fun parts that a lot of people like are the character creations. Because you theoretically can create anybody you feasibly want. There are numerous different races. There obviously are humans, elves, gnomes, orcs, goblins, undead. There is kobold. You can be a kobold. You can be a genocide, which are like these elemental beings. There's fire, earth, water, air, or uh, fire, yeah, water, earth, air. And they lived in harmony until <laughs> one day the Fire Nation attacked. There is tieflings, which are like devil people, I think. Yes. Centaurs. There's uh, beastmen. So there's Leon, I think it's called Leon, which are lion people. Uh, tabaxi, which are feline. It, you could be a leopard. You could be a cheetah you could be a jaguar like it's all covered as a feline there's a minotaur there you could be a turtle there's literally like every race you can be the only thing that stops you is there are only a certain number of classes which let me bring that up real quick so i don't <laughs> miss any of them but i know the first one is artificer they are more of a magical engineer type person you can a lot of them honestly you can build them very different you don't have to build them one which way because like artificer for one 
uh, is a half spellcaster, so it can use spells, but it's very limited, and it relies on its magical equipment. You have the Barbarian, who's all about physical attacks, who goes in rage to make attacks hit more and hit harder, but also take more damage. You have the Bard, which I think everyone kind of knows is the charismatic one where a lot of stories you, you'll you probably see of the Bard role, I want to seduce the dragon, Nat 20, and all that joke and stuff like that. But the Bard has probably the most versatility out of all the classes. Like, it's a spellcaster, but it can be he can be a melee fighter, he can be a ranged fighter, like... The versatility of a bard, not just as a support, is honestly, I think, underrated. I think a lot of people just think bard and think of just support and music and like just support magic, but he can do a lot more. You have the cleric, which is a staple of healing. I, If you play any kind of MMO or any kind of... any. RPG with the class system, you'll always find like a cleric or the healer, the staple healer. You have the druid who loves its nature, can use a lot of like polymorphs to change into different animals and use animals to help them. You have the fighter, which everyone is always like, oh, that's the basic bitch. But I think fighter also has a lot of versatility with how you can build it, either ranged, melee. Even on the subclasses you can use to get some magic, usually that's their only downside is they normally have like no magic abilities. They like to attack a lot. They get the most attacks out of any class, I believe. You have the monk who likes to use unarmed combat, and it's exactly what you think would a monk they could be tank they could be damage dealer i think they even get some healing as well uh manga is probably the one i know the least about paladins your standard paladin i think everyone kind of knows that the righteous always for justice heavy hitting smite the with healing and a fighter Combine, you have the Ranger, which in the D&D community is referred to as the worst class over and over again, just because of a lot of its, honestly, it's mostly because of a lot of its subclasses and the fact that, like, for the Ranger, you have a favorite enemy and you have to specify. So, like, say you're doing a campaign and you say your favorite enemy is goblins or but then you run into no goblins, you're practically useless. So ranger is something you kind of have to talk with your DM to try to figure out like what kind of world you're in. You have the rogue for the edgelords, the ones who like to do sneak attacks and assassinate that the parents are always dead in their backstories because that's a rogue. It's the criminal of the group. <laughs> so now we get into <laughs> the three main magic dealing classes because bard cleric druid paladin all have spells in artificer all have spells i think ranger might everyone may have a little spells here and there but the main people who use the spell damage are sorcerer warlock and wizard warlock is more you get a pact with some demon and that's how you got your power 
And so you're, I don't know, you played a warlock, right? I did not. Uh, Taylor's currently playing a warlock. Because I played a wizard. Wizard has the most spells out of any of the classes because their whole thing is they study magic, so they get the most spells out of any class, but they are also the most frail. So that's like the trade-off. Yeah, warlocks are pretty cool in terms of you don't have to worry about spell slots um, the same way a wizard does because a wizard... It has to kind of worry about, okay, if I cast certain spells, should I waste a level 3 spell slot with this spell because it'll give me a little extra damage here? But if I use this, I use a level 3 spell slot, so I might not be able to use one later down the line. So they kind of have to balance that. Warlocks are cool because whatever your max spell slot is, you have, say you have um, 5 spell slots. Whatever your level is for a spell slot, like say your max is a level 3 spell slot, Whatever spell you use, it's automatically cast at that spell slot level. So you don't get to choose, okay, I'm going to cast this as a level 1. You just immediately go to, I'm casting this as a level 3 spell slot. So you basically get your max potential out of a spell, and you don't have to worry about balancing your spells to be like, okay, I'm going to save a level 3 spell slot. It's like, no, I have this many spells to use, and I'm going to cast them at full capacity. Yeah, and I think it's pretty fun. Sorcerer, I believe they are just born with magic. Uh, I scratch that. Monk and sorcerer are probably the ones I don't know the most about because uh, not a lot of people I have played sorcerer. A lot of times, if they want to play magic, we went with wizard because it's the most user friendly. Because of the, I don't know about that though. I think it's more they claim it's user friendly just because you get a wide variety of spells so you can choose anything and then it's kind of straightforward like oh okay well you only have this many spell slots so you can only cast this many spells instead of worrying about like warlocks who only have access to certain number of spells that are specific to them where wizard besides divine spells and maybe druidic which I think are more like divine-ish spells, wizards can learn pretty much any spell from any other class. Yeah. I So spellcasters are probably one of the most confusing aspects of Dungeons & Dragons when it comes to character making. Um, it, they're just, they have a lot of moving parts that you have to kind of work with and... It can be very daunting, and it's. I always find it easier. Well, looking back at it, I think it would be easier to start off with like someone like a cleric, or maybe even a warlock. I don't know how bad the warlocks are for new players, but the fact that you don't have to worry about spell slot levels, you just have to go f- full guns blazing. But yeah, it can be a lot to try to balance out um, a spellcaster. Just because there's also the whole aspect of known spells versus um, prepared, uh, yeah, prepared spells, and it is it is a very daunting thing. Yeah, it it also depends on how you DM rules with how you do a lot of that stuff because, like, 
for a lot of my experience comes from obviously new because I'm very new to Dungeons and Dragons. So like my very first campaign, I chose a wizard and I went with necromancy because I I think it's the best because I just love necromancy. But anyways, a lot of the time, basically the only rule we had to worry about spells was how many we can learn because there's is a guide of like how many cantrips you can learn, how many first level spells, all this stuff. And as long as it had a verbal component and we had an arcane focus, we could use it. There is some stuff, sometimes you need specific items to do it. But of course, obviously for one of the necromancy spells is, is it undead servant or call the undead, something like that where... I, it, I actually need either bones, blood, or something else. If it's bone, I raise a skeleton. If it's blood, I raise a zombie. And I think there was one other thing I could raise. But, like, obviously that, I would need components. I can't just magically... I think there is a spell where you can just magically call an undead. But, like, for the first time you summon undead or whatever it is i don't know what the spell is you actually need bones or blood or flesh or something to create your skeleton or zombie but again a lot of this you have to talk with your dm about it and it's very interpretational <laughs> so it's hard to say one thing because your dm might say another thing mm-hmm. <laughs> right and to go over briefly, because I know we've been kind of mentioning first level spells, cantrips, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, when you play Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of times, to start out, you have an action, bonus action, and a reaction. That you can use once per turn, unless otherwise specified by your class. Like I said, fighter, by the time you reach level 20, you can, I think, attack like four or five times in one turn. Just because you get extra attack. So a lot of times spells will say it costs one action. Which means if you attack with the spell. You can't use another one unless it says duration or casting time a bonus action. Then you can use it. Where most of the time cantrips count as bonus actions. Or a lot of DMs will say you can use a cantrip as a bonus action. Because it's the normally the weakest of your hand or it could be like some utility spell or something like that and then you move to first level and then there's second level third level which are if you want to think about it in video game terms think of it just as level requirements to unlock stronger spells so if you were playing a game say you like in mmo you get a sword but it's like oh you can't use until you're level 50 and you're level 30 that's the same thing as your level three, you have access to level one spells. You can't access the level five spell fireball at level one. So that's what the spell slots are for and the spell levels. They're just stronger, more potent spells at the higher levels, the higher you go. But you can, a lot of times, you can also upcast a level one spell as a level five spell. Think of it like you got mastery over that spell. So instead of, say, a the level 1 spell, I think it's Firebolt, that does 1d8 damage or 1d10. 
one of the two, and you upcast that to third level. Generally, the rule of thumb for the spell is every level you do it, you add another D8 or whatever it is die to it. So if I did it to third level, that means it's 3D8 damage instead of 1D8. So though you get first level spells, don't sleep on them because they can get powerful if you cast them at higher levels. So that's like the versatility of spells and why it can be so complicated because you're like, oh, well, I have this spell. Should I upcast it? Because maybe you found out that it has a fire vulnerability. So fire damage does twice as damage or is twice as likely to hit. And the only like third level element spell you have right now does cold damage. So you can use that fireball at the third level to do more damage. So that's where the complicated comes into. And that's not even talking about the action or the prepared spells and all that stuff that you have to get into which unfortunately i can't explain too much about because a lot of my campaigns don't deal with that (laughs) right now (laughs) because we're all newbies yeah yeah well that's also a good thing about the game is if everyone's a newbie it's nice because you can go and learn the game together you don't have to feel super rushed into learning new things and all the components because it would be one thing if you're joining a game with a bunch of veterans, but um, going in it blind, it kind kind of lets you dip your toe in the water before getting crazy. Definitely able to learn the game because like we're more just learning the mechanics at my very first campaign, and like how spells work and how action economy works and the rules of combat, how you want to move, how easy it is to get hit, AC, like basically all that stat, this stat page, your character sheet, we were basically learning how to read all that because when you look at it first, it looks very intimidating. I will say that. Yeah, it is definitely very intimidating. So exactly how does combat work and like i said a lot of times it's all in your head you may be in a group that has miniatures to use but the general rule of thumb is if you use a grid map because a lot of times you can each grid is five feet you get for the most part 30 feet of movement is the average of what everyone usually get there are a few races that get more or a few races that get less and like i said you get an action bonus action reaction action you can use if you're melee to swing your sword if you're range fire your bow if you're a spellcaster shoot a spell bonus action there's numerous things you can do with the bonus action but there's also other things you need to learn in combat like sneak how sneak attack works you do double damage or if you roll a nat 20 which a lot of people hear that phrase when talking about dungeon jang as consider a critical hit so you do double damage and honestly that's pretty much the very very basics of it there's a lot more you can learn about like high disengage dash help all that stuff but it'd be much easier if you guys see it than just hear it straight from us but one thing to know in combat is you do something called roll initiative 
you roll your d20, and whoever gets the highest number gets to move or attack first in that order. And so you just go in that order, and generally you'll have spells that work only from 30 feet away, or uh, weapons that you have to be within 5 feet which are generally almost all weapons unless you have like a two-handed weapon that can have a 10-foot reach. Yeah, so combat, it's a really fun aspect of the game. Um, and it's funny because um, most of the game I feel like is centered around combat. It's Dungeons and Dragons. When you're in a dungeon, you're typically fighting all the time. But... I actually enjoy just the roleplay aspect of the game more than I enjoy fighting. So don't get me wrong, the fighting's fun and and figuring out the best strategy to uh, killing an opponent or like there's an opponent here and your friend's in front so you go and flank so you can get uh, advantage on the rolls. And it is a really fun strategic thing to do, especially when you're getting ganged up on and you're like, oh shit, I need to somehow get out of combat without giving them opportunity of attack. There's so many parts of combat that make it so fun but if some people aren't prepared when fighting it can become a very long and daunting thing because people try to figure out what they're doing as it's their turn instead of like trying to plan things ahead so when it gets to their turn they can keep combat rolling so it can be a very long and drug out process and i find combat really enjoyable but like I said, it's the role play that I really like because I have this really stupid character that likes to get people into trouble. Well, he doesn't like to get people into trouble. He just does because he's brutally honest and he doesn't have a filter. So he'll just say things and it causes chaos. And it is just a fun aspect because you can do the most wild things. And sometimes I like giving things away in combat to the enemy because my character is just so stupid. Yeah, definitely, I forgot, we didn't mention too much about the role-playing aspect of it. But yeah, it's just always fun when you get to encompass a character. I also have one who is all brain or all bronze, no brains. He's a minotaur. But I created him as he's dumb outside of combat, but like when it comes to combat, it's like his personality switches and he becomes like a commander. And because he was basically just born to fight and but he has like it's like an on off switch so it's fun to play as that because like when it becomes battle he all of a sudden he gets like really smart and he like knows what to do and he'll give out like or help out other people like hey go over there or like the end people are shocked like why can't you be like this outside of combat? <laughs> but then outside of combat, he like someone would just be like, "Hey, this is like it could just be like an acorn," and they would be like, "Oh, this is actually a seed from the life tree. It'll cost you twenty gold," and he would easily buy it until he gets his like party members to stop him and be like, "Don't waste our money like that." So <laughs> it's fun playing a character with like kind of like dual personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with all this combat, there comes risks. And um, many of those risks are just being injured in battle and having to recover or expending spell slots and getting into battle later and not having the slots you need to effectively fight. Or maybe your healer used up all their spell slots and they can't heal you. So there's a lot of interesting things to combat that can happen. 
but one of the biggest risks you can have is when a player dies. And depending on the rules that your DM takes, there are different ways that a character can die. And there, there's one thing where you are downed, but you are not dead. So in combat, when your hit points reach zero, your player gets downed and there are saving throws that you have to do. And either you or your DM, depending on how your game structure is, will roll a d20. Anything below a 10 is a failure. Anything above a 10 is a success. Or I guess anything 10 and below is a failure. Anything 11 and up is a success. And with three successes, you become stabilized and you have one HP left. Where uh, a failure, a fair, wow, I can't talk. A failure will result in permadeath. Well, sort of permadeath, depending on if you have a healer that can use revivify or not. Or you have a wish spell that you want to use to bring someone back. There are a few aspects that'll allow a player to come back, but a permadeath will be when your character is, like it, the name suggests, permanently dead. And many things can happen. Uh, some DMs will let you re-roll a character and join the party later on, kind of have a little reunion with this character, and you kind of join the party as if you, well, you're basically just a new character. Um, I mean, you could just end, like, be out of the game if you wanted, but most people will just re-roll a character and come as that character. And we haven't had, I haven't had to experience a permadeath yet, but we came pretty close at one point. And I know there are some instances where if your hit points drop below negative 10, some people consider that a permadeath and you, there's no saving throws. I don't know if you guys play that way or not. We don't, mainly because we just don't want to play that way. I don't know if that's a rules as written thing or not. As far as I know, rules as went, it's not negative ten; it's negative your max HP. Oh, that that might. I think I've read multiple things. I could be. We do play I negative max HP because it's honestly really hard to do unless somehow like you survive, unless you're like low level and you survive an attack with like one HP and your max is like ten, and then they obviously where they get like 11 on their next roll, then it's permanent. Like you're, you're dead. But so we do play that way. If you get negative, you max HP, but most of the time that's not going to happen. Cause once you hit zero, the, the bad guy is not going to attack you because you're technically dead. And unless someone before your turn comes around, someone's able to stabilize you and you get up. But yeah, for the, we do play the, if you get negative, you max HP. Because it gets harder and harder as you level up. Because even the squishiest characters get like 100 HP. So unless they True. decide to take the but full if, blast of a dragon head on. <laughs> True, but I feel like we don't play that way. Because like, if one of our characters is stupid and gets the other people in trouble. And the dragon happens to blast someone who didn't even want to engage in the combat to begin with. And resulted in permadeath. That'd be a pretty shitty situation to be in. I still, unless you, well, I guess spellcasters are really squishy because I play a lot of uh, heavy AC characters, 
Well, besides my first wizard, but since then. I just feel like I've seen a lot of roles and stuff, and like, I guess I haven't played high level to where that would be more where I feel like permadeath would be, but like low level, unless you literally change challenging someone you shouldn't because you got think you're, right, but sometimes that's not always up to you because you have the asshole care players or something. As long as the asshole dies, I don't care. But yeah, I guess if uh, right, but I'm saying the consequence could fall on somebody yeah, else. Yeah, that somebody that else. okay, yeah, that would suck. But like, if the or like if something's clearly a trap and the person's like, yeah, I want to walk in anyways, and they die because of that, then I'm like, well, because my character is level five now, and he only has 33 HP. We have one person who has 27 at level five. We're very squishy, whereas our our barbarian has like 57. <laughs> Yeah, like it would be very hard to permanent kill him. (laughs) Yeah, and he's the most reckless. Well, I mean, he does have reckless attack, but yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that that's just a a, an in-game thing. (laughs) And if you die, but if you don't do stupid shit and like in normal combat, I'll say that in normal combat. Yeah. That should theoretically almost never happen unless, like I said, it's early level and they get a crit and you had like one HP and they crit and then they do like 20 damage. But yeah. Anyways, going on for that, some people will ask, can a campaign go on for years? And yes, it can easily go, but again... It's all based on your group, how often you meet. If you only meet once a month, then yeah, it could easily go on years. If you meet once a week, I mean, theoretically, it could go on for years. If you ever watch Critical Role, Dimension 20, any of those thing, like high name ones, they have campaigns that go on for a year or longer or whatever. And it really can go on for that long or you can do one shots which are exactly what it says a one shot campaign that generally will last like three to four hours depending on like how you guys do so campaign lengths are very different to different just like the story can it all depends on how well you guys work as a group how often you meet if you're meeting only once a month then yeah, it's probably going to take a year <laughs> to get it done since you guys are only meeting once a month. If you guys are meeting once a week, it could be a lot shorter. It all depends on how long it is. Yeah. Um, ours that we're doing right now, I just checked before we started recording, and we have been going since March of this year. So that means we have... Assuming we did two-hour sessions every single time, which some have gone over, um, we have done 50 hours worth of D&D sessions. And we have a long way to go in this campaign, I believe. So this may be a, a year or two campaign. How often do you guys meet up? Once a week. Oh, wow. You guys yeah. only do two hours normally? Well, that's minimum. Oh. That's our minimum. Oh, yeah. We have have allocated two hours, but if we're vibing, we're going. There's been somewhere we've done almost four hour sessions. Yeah, I was supposed to say most of my sessions ends up being around four hours, and that's just because of lateness. 
We had one that yeah, went on for mo- like six it, hours because everyone was ours enjoying is, it. Damn. Ours is mostly because of um, it's the summer right now, so people have things to do. That's stuff. True. So Yeah, we try to do like we had a one hour campaign just because like all of a sudden every like the week before we had every everyone was like oh yeah we're all ready to go and then like literally two days before like half of us all of a sudden something like came up that we couldn't like stop like we couldn't avoid because of like family reasons or something but we're like hey we can still meet up briefly and it ended up being like we did it all on Discord and ended up being like an hour long session. So we still yeah. got some in, but yeah. And I guess our final topic of the session will be since we have both been players and dungeon masters, which one that we prefer to engage in? And I think I have my answer. It's a really tough one. So, I, but I want you to answer first since you're new to the DMing experience. What are your impressions? So, <laughs> honestly, I like more player, I guess, because I like the create creator or the yeah character creation and being able to role play as one character and like more diving into this. However, for consistency purposes, I do like being a DM just because. I can easily get people together because if I'm the DM, I can easily create the world. And it's fun creating like all these different characters and stuff, but sometimes it just becomes daunting the more you get it and like you kind of have to remember certain things. Because I guess depending on the length of the campaign would change on who I want. If it's short campaigns, I would... I would love to be DM. I think it's fun creating like this small little world and going on like a few quests and all that and watching and explore. But if it's going to be like a really long campaign, definitely a player. Cause I don't think I could just, I think it's more just the responsibilities that I couldn't be mm-hmm. a DM for a long campaign where a player. Yeah. You still have to memorize some things and stuff, but it would be a lot more fun diving into a world and exploring it for the first time because i always love exploration and learning the new things of the new world or like for games learning the world the map and all that stuff so i said multiple times i'm always the explorer i like to look out where as a dungeon master you kind of already know everything you don't know what direction it's going to take but you kind of already know all the world the secrets so if it's short, yeah, I don't mind creating these worlds real quick. And I could, uh, fuck, what's the word? Uh, duh. I don't what's know. What's the word you said you need to be able to do as a DM? Improv. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> I, <couldn't think. laughs> I can improv to an extent. And... Like, if something happens, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I still have, like, backups. Or I'm like, all right, I can change this around. I can improv to an extent. I'm just not that good at it. So, like I said, short campaigns, yeah, I'll DM. I like creating these small worlds or even one-shots. Like, I think it would be fun to test these players. And it is fun. But, like, if it's anything longer or, like, probably past fifth level where I have to start getting start to remember how strong these people are, I'll probably want to be a player character. 
that's fair. I honestly think uh, they're both fun. And for the reasons that you said is one reason why I lean towards character player. Because it is a lot of dedication. It's a lot of work. You have to really be committed to the world you're creating. But as I said, I absolutely love the roleplay aspect of the game. And as a DM, that's all I'm doing, basically. I mean, there is combat. But I can be as many characters as I want. I can take the story any direction I want to go. I can see the ways that the players interact with me. And I can see kind of like how they're vibing with the story. They'll throw out certain ideas. They'll be like, oh my god, that just happened. What if this happens because of it? And then as a DM, I can sit there and be like, oh, yeah. What if that does happen because of this? And then I can play that into the story at on the fly whenever I want. And it's just a really fun thing to do, to be able to control the world and have my fun with role play. So, and then I get to engage with every single person, and it's just a good time. Yeah, that's what draws me into like the that. DM too aspect. But I guess if I would have to say, I would, I much prefer the role of a backup DM. I think that would fit me. Like, so if say we are in a long campaign, very similar to I guess your situation where we have one main DM who has this like either elaborate campaign or maybe just a module and we're just taking forever because we're new and we don't understand all the gimmicks and stuff like that. But say after like two months or something, maybe the DM wants a break and then I could be like, well, Hey, for the next like two weeks, what if I DM and maybe like how you went to a parallel world or something, uh, like, fix it in or just kind of like how animes have filler episodes we could just do a couple one shots and i wouldn't mind doing that because i do love the role-playing aspect as it like you said as well so i wouldn't mind doing that like to break up but i just have that ex- the wanderlust i love when mm-hmm. If uh, someone else creates a world, I just love exploring it and seeing what it has to yeah. offer. So I had that wonderlust that I would that makes prefer. Sense. You've always been, you've always been the explorer. I just hate because I see stories of like forever DMs that I wish I could be a player once, but no, my. So yeah, that would be rough. yeah. So like I want to relieve that, but I also don't want to be a forever DM because I much prefer the player character, but. Being a DM every so often, like especially if they want to break or something, I would gladly do because I do enjoy it because of your reasons. But at the same time, I I just have a wanderlust heart that I want to explore. Yeah, yeah, there definitely has to be the balance. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to be a forever either, like DM or PC. Yeah, I think if we had to put it to percentage, seventy thirty player character to DM would be my preference that's fair yeah i don't know what my percentage would be but I feel like you're probably more closer def- 60 40 as of right now yeah probably yeah it's just it's fun because from what you said you seem to enjoy dming more than i like i don't mind it and i like creating these maps and stuff but yeah i keep yeah. going back to that wonderless i like to explore that's fair that is fair. But yeah, I think that is about it. What is your question of the day? This is 
more from, I guess, experienced players. I mean, if you're new, you could have, maybe you fell in love with the character, but what's your like favorite character you've made? Yeah, and uh, for those who aren't into D&D, would you ever play now that you've heard the podcast? Like, one, have you ever been on the fence about D&D? And if you have been, what or do you want to play now? And if you never wanted to play, have you changed your mind? And you, a random... Do you have... What? Oh. Go ahead. Okay. Um, hold on. I was going to say, do you yeah, even so, have a very favorite character right now? Because I don't know how many characters um, you I've have. Only pl- I've only played two. One was... Um, w- so I played uh, a pre-made which was the Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is a very common one for people to start out with, I believe. And I played a wizard elf who was who, who turned out to be very, very racist against goblins. <laughs> he, his shrine, his backstory was his, his shrine to his god was overrun by goblins, and that caused him to have a huge disgust for them. And any time we ran into goblins, it was just he hated them he thought they were disgusting creatures this and that and then in spite of me because everyone hated me in our can't like the uh all the people in the group were like goblins aren't even bad (laughs) and in spite of me they decided to basically get a pet goblin (laughs) (laughs) so it was a very fun character uh i just liked being that person that everyone could rally behind to hate (laughs) and yeah uh, but currently, my favorite is the one I'm running now, who is Bjorkus. He's a very aloof Minotaur who was born into slavery. And now he basically is trying to find his way and make choices of his own because he was in slavery for 70 years. So he doesn't know how to make free will choices. He has to be told what to do. So he's learning how to discover himself, but he is very, very stupid. I have two characters I'm playing with that third I've been talking to you about. Uh, mm-hmm. The third I'm really excited to play, and I have a backstory and everything. But from what I've experienced so far, my first one, who's the necromancer, I love his goal. I love his backstory. His To sum up his goal is he's trying to make an ice cream truck in this world because he hates the heat. And he enjoys like frozen treats and he wants to make an ice cream truck and he became a necromancer because he doesn't want to pay people. And I love (laughs) his, like the backstory. I love the setting. Like I absolutely love the setting character, but from a role play perspective, I love my minotaur named gumdrop. Who's the dumb, uh, that I was talking about that the bronze over brains. He's so fun because because he's so dumb, he irritates a lot of people, and he ends up getting into trouble, and he's kind of like, he doesn't realize, like, when people are insulting him, and he kind of, like, takes it as praise sometimes, too, and so it, like, frustrates people, and I just love that, <laughs> that he's, like, <laughs> too dumb to insult, and, like, from a roleplay perspective, it, it is so fun to play him. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um... So, this, that's about it. 
I have two facts, and so the first one is that D and D was created in 1997. Sorry, 1974. I was uh, I'm reading off of uh, Britannica.com, and 1997 was when it was acquired by Wizards of the Coast. That's why I said 1997, which is a subsidiary of Hasbro. But yeah, it was created by the designers Ernest Gary uh, Gygax and Harry Arneson in 1974. So that was fact number one, just more of a history fact. And then the other one is for all you people who need some sort of inspiration to play. And so, you know, it's not all just a bunch of nerds. A lot of famous people play it. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now because there are a lot of people playing uh, actors, famous people. And one of the people who who I think most people know this because it, it I don't know when I learned this, but Vin Diesel yeah. plays uh, D&D. There's Carl Urban, who, if you don't know him, he's a pretty good actor, and he's known for, well, he, his, some of his big roles currently are Billy Butcher from The Boys. We have the late Robin Williams, which everyone knows Robin Williams. Michael Myers, Mike Myers from, uh, shit, what's that movie called? Austin Powers. Oh, I thought, I thought, yeah, just, I thought you were going to say not, Shrek. Not, not the murderer. <laughs> not, oh, well, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so we have a bunch of famous people. James Franco supposedly plays. Terry Crews, who is a, such a fun actor. So yeah, there's a bunch all of All of those fun, I can easily not nerdy imagine people. playing. Right? They all seem like a bunch of nerds deep down inside. I, I feel like They're Jim Carrey has to be on that list. With just his... Here, let me do it. Let me do a control F and see. Uh, he's not wow. on this list. Um, that I feel like he's he would have been great at storytelling. Oh my god! I feel like a lot of actors would actually be fantastic at this game. I mean, they're actors. The whole point is like, yeah, role yeah, play. But like everyone you mentioned, I'm like, I could easily see them sitting at a table and playing like these games. Yeah. Especially Terry Crews. I feel like he would. He would be a blast to play with. Yeah, he would be a he would be so much fun. But yeah, so that is it for us today. So sh- don't forget to show us some love and support on Patreon.com/weepswan, and of course, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Weepswan, and you can contact us at any time at weepswan@gmail.com. Thank you all for listening, and that will be it from us today. I've been your host, Bobby, and I'm Joshua. And we will see you guys next time when we weeb spawn.